I want it your real estate resource. Welcome to Your Real Estate Resource, a show dedicated entirely to the subject of real estate. I'm Steve Ravithis with Ravithis Realty, and I've been managing and selling for over a decade now. I promise to bring you the best local experts in their field. Um, today, we are lucky enough to have with us Kevin Van from Default Van and Corella. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Steve. You bet. It's a pleasure. Kevin is the senior partner, principal of Dufault Van and Corella. Uh, it's an accounting and tax firm located in Springfield, Massachusetts. The firm is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. Kevin is a licensed U.S. enrolled treasury agent and holds several tax accreditations and a member of many accounting and tax organizations. DVC is a member of the Van Group, which owns and operates a variety of professional service firms. So, sounds like you're fairly important, buddy. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that, but we're busy. <laughs> yeah, and for sure, uh, know your stuff when it comes to tax and accounting. Um, been a lot of changes uh, in, in the past couple of years here with with tax uh, with Trump uh, making his uh, his tax reform. So, I think that's the place that we got to start with, okay. right? Can Can you get us a quick overview? And I know there's so much. Um, yeah, quick overview is kind of impossible, <laughs> but I'll do my best with it. Um, from 16 forward, uh, after the elections, uh, we had sense there was going to be some uh, substantial movement in the House and in the Senate on tax reform. And obviously, when uh, President Trump was elected, that continued. And uh, for a lot of different reasons, um, I think there's some philosophical reasons, uh, but there's also some uh, responses to society itself. That's how tax codes get uh, derived from. And this one here is probably for us the biggest tax change we've seen since 1986. In 1986, when Reagan was president, they had the 1986 Tax Reform Act. It was substantial. It took several years to get through it and to get familiar with it. This pretty much looks the same. It's sweeping. Um, the biggest bill in 31 years. Uh, we've had a very difficult time training for it uh, over the past year and a half, and we sense that just about everything that we used to know very, very well has changed. Uh, so it's put us on guard for this coming tax season. Uh, there's a lot of concerns as to things aren't finalized yet. And typically when a tax act gets changed, when it gets thrown through Congress, uh, typically there's a two or three year period of technical corrections. And those technical corrections are derived from congressional action, tax court action, the Internal Revenue Service, proposed regulations, audits, so on and so forth. So we feel this one probably has five to 10 years of technical corrections coming ahead. So my disclaimer today, if I need a disclaimer, is some of the things that I know naturally, I'm gonna to have to be careful in saying, so I'm gonna tell anyone who's listening, make sure you get good advice from your tax advisor, from your accountant, or whoever prepares your tax return, because there's gonna be a lot of new things this year for you. So what about just general increases or decreases? I think that would be you know, applicable to everybody out there. Is it, it, overall, are we gonna see decreases, increases in those returns? The uh, reform was really to kind of balance uh, the business to business to individual world a little bit. Uh, they've compressed the rates uh, for individuals, so everyone has a lower tax rate this year. On the business side, they tried to take the multinational corporations and the small business person and make sure that those became more comparable to each other as far as rates are concerned. So it was really a rate movement first. And when you have a rate movement to lower rates in a tax cut, you have to find ways to do it. And that's where the sweeping changes have been. Deductions have changed, exemptions have changed. There's been those type of changes, but everyone has a rate reduction. However, they may not see that necessarily for what it's worth, but both corporations, individuals, and all types of business have had rate reductions. Okay. Um, 
is it true that individuals, as individuals, we no longer have uh, dependency deduction? Shocking. Um, this is my 40th year practicing, and I grew up with that being the standard. And it's funny how it went through. Um, I felt in the House, uh, we were keeping a careful eye on that. We, we, we respond daily to committee reports from the House and then sometimes from the Senate. And there was a move to reduce the dependency deduction and not reduce it from its value in 17, which was 4,050, to reduce it to zero. And uh, most of us in the profession are shocked. They took away what we all had for our entire careers. Everyone had a dependency deduction and it's gone. Congress did away with it and the president did away with it and replaced it obviously with different things, but we no longer have a dependency deduction. I think the first time since 1954. Wow. Yeah, major change. Major change. Um, what about the simplification of the filing process? You heard this term, <laughs> postcard filing. Yeah, postcard filing. Uh, I think when they were rolling this out uh, in the public's view, uh, both the, uh, the administration, the Internal Revenue Service, it was a design uh, to capture a group of people where simplification could actually work. And I think in some cases it has. Uh, the Office of Management Budget, I think, produced a report that said about 30 million Americans will see some form of simplification in addition to those who were simplified already. And I think that's true. I think in our own practice, we're actually going to see some simplification. Simplification is going to be for the person that maybe has just a W-2 or two wage earners in the family, maybe a little bit of interest, maybe Social Security benefits or a pension, and no longer any deductions or credits. But that's a small majority in the country, realistically. So the postcard was a word to say, if it looks like a postcard and feels like a postcard, that means it's simplified instead of a long letter form. So we went from a two-page format called the 1040 page one and two to now a postcard in six schedules. So <laughs> simplification isn't necessarily the, the case. As for businesses and individuals who own real estate and have deductions and credits, there's been no simplification at all. It's actually much worse than it has been. Sure. So there's been a trade off for there. What, what about the time that it takes? The average person comes in to see you guys, uh, you know, to do a tax meeting. Let's say they've done no tax planning, right? They call you up and say, hey, can you guys file my taxes? You know, for that average person, how long are they in your office uh, and then versus, the, you know, the more complicated business owner, et cetera? Uh, typically an individual, uh, there may be two wage earners in the family. Uh, they may own real estate. They may own a home. They may have a rental property. Uh, they'll typically come in. They'll either drop their returns off and it'll start through the preparation process, or they'll have what we call our first interview. And the interview was either some of us interview for 45 minutes, some of us interview for an hour. We try to get as much of the data entered onto the return as we can during that period of time. And from that process it goes, the preparer will either complete the return at the time or they'll put it aside They'll prepare at a later date, typically nights or weekends, and then from there it goes into a review process. From review it goes into assembly. From assembly it goes into packaging. From packaging it gets ready for the exit conference, and that's either going to go through a portal or being mailed or whatever. So we're probably taking an average return two, two and a half hours for the entire process. The process. Yes. Yeah. So when you, when you think about doing your taxes on one of these online services, there's no way they're taking that much time. And I just can't imagine that they're getting all that information. No, and the thing about the interview that's important when they come in or when they drop off, they have questions. 
it's not just doing the tax return at that particular time. They're going to have a lot of questions about their own personal things in life. It could be their wills or their estates and how his tax is going to affect them next year when they retire. You don't have that meeting where it's just a very generic, plain envelope meeting. It just opens up all those questions. So in that 45 minutes or an hour, our preparers are trained to respond to that. And if we can't respond to it at the time, we offer them uh, you know, to get together after tax season when there's more time to discuss it. But uh, th that initial 45 minutes or an hour is loaded with a lot of things other than just taxes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason for doing this show is, you know, I'm a big proponent of local business owners. Mm -hmm. People like yourself who are professional, they're dedicated mm -hmm. to their industry. <clears throat> there's no online service that's going to be able to match that. No, you know, it's not. It, it's just not, you no. know, and when, when uh, people come in, they're looking to buy or sell and they're going to meet with one of our agents, you know, we, we've got to do a consultation and that could be an hour worth of asking questions uh, where we're going to really find out what's in the best interest of this person, you know, and I know you guys do something similar on the tax side and, and I know it's going to be after tax season, right, mm -hmm. to get them prepared for the next one. I mean, mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that. I know it's a free consultation, mm -hmm. but how does that work? Yeah, we, uh, we love to have clients come in after tax season. We're more relaxed, obviously. Yep. Uh, we've been through the grinder, and so the information's fresh for us at that particular time, the tax law changes. And for our commercial accounts, you're required to do tax planning in the fall. And for our individual accounts, we try to get as many in as they can. And we also do a lot of free consultations throughout the summer and the fall. So if you have questions, for example, on estate planning, and how that's affecting you, or if you have a questions on retirement planning, which is a huge question all the time, if you're going to start to take distributions out or should how you should be funding your retirement, and there's questions regarding children going off to college. There's just a plethora. There's menu is huge. Like in the real estate business today, your menu has grown so much over the years as to the need. The need in our profession has grown considerably, so we love to have people in after tax season. And we do a little bit during tax season, obviously, because there's some crisis work and there's some critical work that has to be responded to. But there's so many questions that everyone has today. And you can go online and you can Google your question. We do. Yeah. Obviously, we're all the same. You do, I do, so on and so forth. But you're not going to get it any deeper than that, that generic response to it. It may not fit you. So I think that's why the planning process is critical for everyone today. We do so much more planning than we used to do over the years. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, look, you, yeah, you can Google anything today, Yes, right? you can. It, the, the problem is knowing the right questions to ask. Knowing <clears throat> the right questions and then taking the information. You can go on the Internal Revenue's website and you get some incredible publications. There's some great material that they have. The problem is it's very, very dry and it's difficult to read. It's based off code sections. So when a client tells me that they've looked at a particular publication, they become more confused. You know, what do you do with that information? How do you vet through that and get through that? So, yeah, we like the planning process. The planning process is the fun part. Sure. The press print is the compliance part. Yeah. You know, after January 1st, we're complying with the government. And you're complying with the government. But when you and I get together before that, we're doing a lot of creative work together. And that's what it's about. Yeah. So, you know, one of the questions that I get a lot is, is cost, right? What's the commission going to be, Steve? You know? Yeah. And, and one of the, the, the responses that we like to give is it, it's going to depend, okay? Um, but also, what's more important to you, the net amount of money in your pocket or the cost of doing business, right? Because you can go get it done for cheaper pretty much in anything that you want to do in life. Yes. But the net amount of money in your pocket, I think that pertains a lot in the tax world. It does. Right? right? There's a cost to use your services. Yes. But the net amount of money that they're going to end up with at the end of the day versus using an online service, i got to believe, is going to be higher for them. And I think so. And it's 
you know, I'd say in the last 10 or 15 years, technology has driven that, um, the planning process as well for us, including we have much greater software than we used to have. The capabilities with the software today are tremendous. But again, it's the data entry of the software and where we're picking that information from. What you're not going to get online is you're not going to get those solid questions and the personal questions that I can ask about your spouse, your children, other family members, whether there's domestic issues or whether there's going to be an issue for a disabled child or that type of thing, those things you're not going to get online. And those things all center around tax planning as well. There's domestic planning for tax planning, and domestic doesn't mean there may be a potential divorce. It can mean a lot of different things in domestic planning. It can mean that you're going to have foster children coming in, or you may have a grandparent that's coming to live in the house and those type of things. And all those are really driven around some, some type of tax planning. So I think it's important to open up those, uh, op open up the brain a little bit. We always say when a client comes in, it's a puzzle. And you take that puzzle box and you empty it on the table. And it can be a simple puzzle or it can be an extremely dysfunctional and difficult puzzle. But we try to put those puzzle pieces together. And it's not just tax that comes together. It's all the other years of advice we've been given and the experiences that we've had in our own lives and what we've done with our clients. So we help put those puzzle pieces together. Beautiful. Yeah, Beautiful. great stuff. Well, we're coming up against the break. Okay. This has been some great information. Thank you. If, uh, if people have additional questions or maybe a follow-up question to something that we've talked about today, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Uh, we're local. We're in Springfield, so area code 413-543-6177. Or you can join us on our website at www.dufault, D-U-F-A-U-L-T, van, V-A-N-N, Corella, C-A-R-E-L-L-A.com. It's long, but you'll find us easily. <laughs> Beautiful, Kev. Thanks right. so much, guys. Pleasure. Obviously, if you have uh, real estate-related questions, uh, you want to get in touch with us, maybe about joining the industry, uh, buying or selling real estate, please reach out to me and my team, 413-998-7466, 413-998-7466. Stick with us after the break. We're going to have Kevin uh, coming back and answering some more uh, technical Great. Questions. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks. This is your real estate resource, and I'm Steve Ravis. Attention, Massachusetts and Connecticut homebuyers. 2019 is shaping up to be a fantastic real estate market. I'm Steve Ravithis, I run Ravithis Realty, and we focus on Western Massachusetts and Northern Connecticut. We want to help you find your dream home and help you navigate the home buying process. Call us at 413-998-7466. That's 413-998-7466. Who you choose to work with matters, and we want to be your real estate resource. Are you thinking about selling a piece of real estate in the next three to six months, but aren't sure where to get started? I'm Steve Ravithis. I run Ravithis Realty, and we would love to talk to you about how we can position your property to get top dollar. Our team of experts can help you make the appropriate repairs, stage the property, and make the property stand out online with professional photography and videography. Please give us a call at 413-998-7466. That's 413-998-7466, and talk to one of our listing specialists. Attention Massachusetts and Connecticut homeowners, 2019 is shaping up to be a fantastic real estate market. I'm Steve Ravithis, I run Ravithis Realty, and we focus on Western Massachusetts and Northern Connecticut. Let us help you sell and get top dollar while the market's still hot. Call us at 413-998-7466. That's 413-998-7466. Who you choose to work with matters, and we want to be your real estate resource.
Are you thinking about purchasing real estate in the next three to six months, but aren't sure where to get started? I'm Steve Ravithis. I run Ravithis Realty, and we love educating people about the home buying process. We want to be your real estate resource, from helping you find the properties to aligning you with the best local lenders, inspectors, and attorneys to facilitate your transaction. Please give us a call at 413-998-7466. That's 413-998-7466, and talk to one of our buyer specialists. Welcome back to Your Real Estate Resource. I'm Steve Ravithis, uh, lucky enough to have with me Kevin Van from Dufault Van and Corella. Kev, thank been you. A good first half. A great first half. We're going to get into some technical questions on the backside. So. That could be a problem for yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> get ready. We're going to hit you. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's start off with salt, right? I, I keep hearing this salt. So I, I, you know, it's winter time. I'm thinking it's something I, I'm going to throw on my sidewalks. Somehow it applies to the tax code. Tell yeah, us. it's been a it's been a tough combination of words. Salt. It stands for state and local income taxes, and obviously the government does that to us all the time. They throw alphabets out and they confuse people. So this is a confusing one. Uh, salt is really a situation where you're limited to ten thousand dollar year deduction for your state income tax, your real estate taxes, and your personal property taxes. And this was a full deduction for years. The problem with salt that we're having in the Northeast industrial states, we have very high income tax states here, and we have very high real estate taxes, and we have a pretty high personal property tax for excise tax on vehicles. So if you were living in our area, for example, and let's say you had two wage earners, and perhaps the wage earners paid $10,000 a year in state income tax, which is unusual, and they paid $6,000 a year in real estate taxes, and maybe $1,000 in excise tax, there's a $17,000 deduction that they always knew they were going to get. That's been limited to $10,000 across the country and across the board. And that number we've all had to learn to live with here under SALT, state and local income taxes. In states where there's very low income taxes, which in probably 30, 35 uh, states in the country, there's low state income tax, or low real estate taxes, that $10,000 isn't affecting them. Let's take a state like New Hampshire where we have clients. They don't have an income tax. They've got high real estate taxes, but chances are they're still going to benefit with that $10,000 limitation, where in Massachusetts, Boston, Hartford, New Jersey, which has a 9% state income tax, New York City, so on and so forth, the older industrial states are getting killed with this salt because they're limited at 10000 They replace that deduction with a higher standard deduction, which again, if you're living in a state where it's low income tax and low property tax, you're way ahead. So not only do you have a higher standard deduction, you've got a lower income tax rate. So those people are absolutely thrilled. They're the ones that they're talking about that are seeing the huge difference in their refunds. They're getting back refunds like they never did before, where those of us in states like in Massachusetts and Connecticut with that $10,000 limitation under SALT are actually getting killed. You may find where you pay more in income tax this year, which was not how it was designed, but that's the reality of it. So you have part of the country that's thrilled, yep. and you have another part of the country that's struggling with it. So SALT is a difficult one. Okay, and I've heard a lot about not being able to write off the interest on the home equity loan. Things have changed in the interest deduction. Um, the last several years, there was a million-dollar cap on your primary residence and your second residence. So if you had a first and second home and you had a mortgage for a million two combined on those two properties, you were limited to taking an interest deduction on a million. That million has now dropped to 750. That was a broker deal between the House and the Senate. So if you have your first home as your residence and a second home 
uh, somewhere in the beach or whatever, if your mortgages are below 750, that's fine. You're still going to get a full interest deduction, irrespective of SOP. On home equity, there's been a substantial change, and this is a this is a worrisome change for us. You're limited to taking a deduction on the interest for the improvements in the acquisition of your home. So we have clients who for years have been using home equity loan to educate students, vacations, buying automobiles, those type of things. The interest now on that is not deductible at all. So if you're paying college tuition through home equity loan, you've lost that deduction. It has to be used for improving the value of the house. So if you put an addition on the house and you borrow $100,000 for a home equity loan, you're going to be able to take the interest on that, but you're not going to be able to take it for anything else. And this is a major change. In the discussion we're having with the profession is how are they going to monitor this? It's almost impossible. Well, unfortunately, those who are generating the mortgage information now are learning how to comply within that. So pretty soon you're going to notice your forms coming in are going to state all that on it. What portion is home equity? What portion is first residence, second residence, and opening balances and ending balances? So compliance will fall in. I think this year it's going to be difficult to have monitor, but over the next couple of years it's going to be a lot easier for them to monitor. It's going to be tough for people. Yeah. Big okay. change. How about rental property? How has that been affected? Wow. Rental property for years was never considered trader business. Uh, never. And during this last tax act in 17, for whatever reason, we're still trying to figure out why between the House and the Senate committees, they've decided to take a portion of the rental business and consider it trader business. If it's trader business, that means it falls under this new code section, which everyone's talking about, code section 199A. And I hate to quote code section numbers because it just takes me right through the profession. But it's really called qualified business income, QBI. That's what everyone's talking about. If I have QBI, can I reduce my income by 20%? So, for example, if I own a business, a restaurant, and I made $50,000, I get a chance to take $10,000, 20% of that, and not pay tax on it. And you take it right off your, your taxable income. I think even in the real estate industry, we see the effects of QBI, which are substantial in sure. your industry. But if I own rental property, who never used to be considered trader business, there's a provision now that under certain conditions, you can consider rental income under QBI, and you can get that 20%. So let's say we have a six-family owner or four-family or whatever, and we make $5,000 a year profit. You would then take 20% of that and not pay tax on that $1,000. But there's a lot of catches to that, and there's a new uh, proposed regulation that was just published on January 18th that says now you're going to have to fit into a safe harbor. In the safe harbors, you're going to have to spend 250 hours a year on that property, and you're going to have to document it for managing it, mowing the lawn, shoveling the snow, so on and so forth. And your 250 hours can include time, cannot include time, for making improvements to the property or refinancing the property or working on a buy and a sell of the property. It has to be actual direct management and you're supposed to keep time records. We think this is going to be a big issue this year. Firms aren't going to know how to handle it. Clients certainly aren't going to know whether they're going to be in the safe harbor or not, this 250 right. safe harbor. And it just came out 10 days ago. So we don't know whether it's going to get watered down or it's going to get propped up. But the good news is if you have rental property, there's a chance that 20% of that profit on that may fall under QBI and you may be excluded from so, your income. From what I'm hearing, though, if you have a property management company, forget it. Forget it. Yeah. Or if you have a triple net lease or if it's a self-rental, forget it. Yeah. And that's unfortunately a lot of it. However, there's an oddball provision under REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, that they don't fall under any of that at all. They get the full 20%. So if you're, if you're investing in a REIT, 
your retirement account or whatever, a non-retirement account, then you're going to get that 20% exclusion. Doesn't make sense to any of us, but that's the uh, way things the way fell rolls. down. Yeah. Um, what about estate taxes, inheritance taxes? Um, My favorite and, subject. Um, <laughs> because estate taxes are really pretty much gone on the federal level. I think in the last four or five administrations from Clinton forward through Bush, through Obama and through Trump, uh, we've had a lot of relief in estate taxes. The new estate tax exemption per person is 11400000 So if you have a husband and wife, it's 22800000 So you're really not going to pay federal tax anymore yeah. on your estate unless you're a very wealthy individual. So it's pretty much done away with. However, the bad news is, again, in our industrialized states like Massachusetts, it's a million-dollar cliff. So we're still doing a lot of estate work because you may not have a federal tax, but you're going to have a Massachusetts tax. And the Massachusetts tax is still pretty expensive. There's a $2 million cliff in Connecticut and $1 million cliff in Massachusetts. So we're still doing a lot of planning. You can still gift. You can gift up to $15,000 a year. That's gone up a little bit each year. And uh, so there's still a fair amount of planning to do when it comes to state planning. But basically, unless you're wealthy, you're not going to pay a federal tax. Well, there's some good news. That is good news. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, what about health insurance when we file? Um, talk, talk to me about that. You know, I know it's always been a... And again, that's been a political football for a long time. As you know, in Massachusetts, I think when Romney was governor and they put in universal health care in Massachusetts, there's a penalty in Massachusetts if you don't carry health insurance. And that has continued and there's no changes there. There's still a penalty. But on the federal side, at some point during President Obama's administration, they came up with Obamacare and there was a penalty involved for not having health insurance for certain periods of time. There was criteria set for that. That health insurance penalty is still there for 200 and, uh, in 2018. People are confused. They think it's gone. It's not. When you file your 2018 return, there's still a penalty. 2019, it's gone that penalty if you don't have health care. However, we're not so sure that's not going to be changed through some technical correction or whether the next Congress is going to make some changes on that. Still great idea using health savings accounts, um, using anything you can. Medical deductions are almost out of the question now. They have to exceed 7.5% of your income. So a family of two made $100,000. They need over $7,000 before they could deduct any medical. So as much as the deduction is still there, it's pretty much gone. Uh, so medical is a tough one right now, and there's still is penalties involved for not carrying health insurance. I'm going to try and slip one last question. For Certainly. anybody out there that's flipping houses, has anything changed with regards to the capital gains that you'd make if you flipped a house? So, you know, it seems to be a big topic now. Everybody's trying to do it. So anything changed there? They love flipping houses at the top end of the market. It's the low end of the market where you make money. Yeah. Uh, no, nothing's changed. Capital gain rates are still great. Uh, you have to be very careful when you're flipping because capital gains, if it's held longer than one year, then you get the low tax rate on the capital gain. If it's held less than one year, it's a short-term gain, and that's ordinary income tax. The good news is the rates have gone down a little bit, but there's still a huge difference when you're flipping that house. So we have a lot of professional flippers. A lot of times they'll hold that property for longer than a year. Uh, because they're in there improving the property and they're waiting to see what the market conditions are going to be and they watch that timing very carefully they'll take the capital gains rate versus the ordinary rate so there's still but there's really no changes in the actual capital gains tax rules at all still okay. an exciting proposition for those in the real estate business beautiful kev yeah. we're up against the uh, the end of the show here uh, thank you so much quickly if people have additional questions for you how are they going to get in touch with you first of all thanks for having me area code 413 543-6177 is our Springfield local number or our website, uh, Dufault Van and Corella. Hard to 
spell, but easy to find. I bet you Google uh, will know where that They'll is. know exactly where we are. If Thanks for having that. us. You bet. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. Guys, uh, before we get to the end here, again, if you've got any real estate-related questions, uh, you're looking to get into the business, you're looking to help uh, help have us help you buy or sell, please reach out to us. I'm Steve Ravithis. This has been your real estate resource.